Bible with me, if you would, to the book of Hebrews chapter 1. I'm telling you, this life is a vapor, and we've got to make it count. We've got to make this life count. The world, the reason they're just whittling their life away is because they don't know what to do with their life. They don't know. They just get up, live it, and go to bed. That's all they know is just to exist, just to be born, to work, to live, to die. But we know something. We're on assignment. Amen? The Lord's showing us things. And one of the things you got to know in your life in order to be profitable, to be fulfilled, to be fulfilled, to be satisfied, to have days of heaven on earth, you got to know some things about the kingdom. We just don't know enough from experience. You know, your mom and daddy didn't know enough. My folks sure didn't. You know, they gave me all the things they did. My dad sat down and gave me some witty sayings. Some of it was really great. Some of it was just, what was that? But you know, they did the best they could. You know, but that's life's wisdom, world's wisdom. We need wisdom from heaven. Amen? And so we know that in Mark chapter 11, the Bible says that Jesus said, Whosoever shall say, and then he went on to say about to the mountain, and not doubt in your heart, but believe those things which he says shall come to pass. And he ended up in verse 23 saying, He shall have whatsoever he saith. So we got a principle there, the principle of confession, that whosoever shall say shall have whatever he saith. Whoever shall say shall have whatsoever he saith. Not what the Bible says, not what God says, not what's the right thing, the better thing. Whosoever shall say shall have whatever he saith. That's the law of confession. And it works. It works like gravity. It works like uh, light. It works like all the principles that God's given us to function and to work in this kingdom. And you have to know this. You've got to understand it. But if you don't, it's still working anyway. How many of y'all know gravity's been well studied? They know all about it. You know how high up you go and gravity begins to lose its effect and what it is on the moon and other planets. They know all about it. But it really, if you don't know diddly about gravity, it'll work the same every time. You know, stupid or, or smart, gravity's working. Well, the law of confession's the same thing. So it'll be more expedient. It'll help us if we can cooperate with it by knowing how it works. Because it can work for you or against you. So Jesus said, whosoever shall say, shall have whatsoever he saith. And then we looked in Proverbs last week about Proverbs 18, where we found out that death and life are in the power of the tongue. So we saw another example of that, that it's not just something that Jesus came up with. It's not something new covenant. Jesus spoke this under the old covenant, even when he spoke it in Mark. But it's something that's always been. He said that death and life are in the power of the tongue. Well, how many of y'all know we've got life inside of us? Now, I've been born again. I've had a spiritual transfusion. The old was drained out and the new was put in. I am wall-to-wall God in here. That may look like Taco Bell, but really it's Jesus. I'm telling you, it's wall-to-wall, God. When my mouth opens, if it comes out of my spirit, man, it's coming out life. So I got to get into my head. If I got to find something stupid, I got to find something my senses has sent to my head in order to speak something that's got death in it. Did y'all know that? We've got to be trained into death because we have life inside of us. We've got to somehow turn the switch and talk out of our head, talk out of our eyes, talk out of our hearing, talk out of our experience, talk out of our memory in order to speak death. Well, we need to shut that part off. If whosoever shall say has whatsoever he saith, we need to shut that part off and get it down where it's just coming out of this part down here. That means we may have to shut up sometimes because life and death are in the power of the tongue. It's not in your genetics. It's not education. It's not where you're born. It's in your tongue. Well, the good news is, is that everybody's got a square shot at it. The rich, the poor, the black, the white, the young, the old, the maimed and infirm, or the athlete, it doesn't matter. All that stuff doesn't matter. It comes out of your mouth. What you got, what you're going to have comes out of your mouth. Hallelujah. It's the great equalizer. Don't y'all just love God? He's just so fair. Hallelujah. So that when people complain and gripe about God, he just takes them to the word and says, yeah, you got it just like everybody else. Amen. So we've decided that we're going to decide where we want to go and, and we're going to point our tongue in that direction. Amen. <laughs> we're not hoping in a praying. We're meditating in a saying. Hallelujah. And it's working. it's working. It is. It's working. And so we're going to shut off the negative, shut off the stuff that's foolish, shut off the stuff that's, that's convenient with our friends to laugh about stuff that's not right, not good. And we're going to start ordering our conversation right. And changing our lives. In Hebrews chapter 1, look in verse 1. God, who at sundry times and in divers or various manners spake in time past 
unto the fathers by the prophets. So God was speaking in the past, the old covenant, but he spoke to them by the fathers, by the prophets, by the old men of God. Hath in these days, say right now, in these days, new covenant spoken unto us by his son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. So the Bible says that everything that was made was made by the Lord Jesus. The uh, Williams translation says, Jesus Christ the Son was appointed lawful owner of everything. Well, we know in Romans 8 it says, The Spirit beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Then it says this, And if children, then heirs. So Jesus owns it all, but then it says, if we're children, any children of God in here, hallelujah, then we're heirs, then it says, and heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. So Jesus has it all. He owns it all. And then the Father turned around in the better covenant and said, and by the way, just as a little add on there, you won't have to go to hell and you get to escape all the destruction. I'm going to make you heirs and joint heirs with Christ. Everything he's got, just join up with him and you can have it too. Pretty cool on the way out, amen, just to throw that out there. So, we have everything he's got. In the earth, we are not excluded. We have everything our older brother has. Father lumped it all in and said, we're going to share it and share it alike. The family's all going to have it. We can all have it together. It's pretty cool, y'all. When you get to thinking about it and studying it, you've got to kick a lot of religion out. You've got to change your thinking. There's nothing that works in our old way of thinking with this gospel, this revelation, this New Testament. There's nothing that works. Everything's got to be analyzed and scrutinized and put into order, and we have to change the way we look at life. Where we're poor, pitiful me, no more. We are triumphant, always winners. Now in Christ, we always have the victory. Look in verse 3. He said, who, speaking about the Son, being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. When he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Well, there's a lot there and we could go in every direction, but what I want to look at here is it says upholding all things by the word of his power. I want you to notice there that he didn't say upholding all things by the power of his word. There's a difference there. The word of his power. The word of his power. So his power, who Father is, Jesus has become. And who Jesus has become, taken on everything, he then is given unto us. And so that power is demonstrated or delegated or manifested by words. Words in themselves are just conveyances, they're tools, they're vehicles. But the power of God is sent to a specific place or a situation or a mountain or whatever. The Word of God takes the power of God. He said, upheld by the Word of His power. So power can take on the form of words, the very manifest, the very fullness of God. All that he is and all that he wants to reveal can be taken like you would put your dollar in your billfold and take it to the bank and put it in there. It can be put into words and then it can be directed and sent and focused and relegated and delegated into specific situations by words. My, 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 the very thing that comes out of our mouth that cusses and carries on and, and has foolishness and coarse jesting and, and all manner of things can also be a laser that's aimed at something and the word of our power, his power in us, can be focused on something and changed and turned around. What a power he has given to us. And here we are, shooting off our mouth like we didn't know, waiting for the power. Lord, send the power, the Holy Ghost power. Lord, come on down. Lord, send something. It's tough down here. It's hard to make it. We don't know what we're going to do. And all of a sudden, we find out everything he's got has been vested in us in his power, and we can release it into our lives with our words. My goodness. It was here all along. You know how the Lord's real sneaky about the things of the world that he published this thing over centuries by all these different men in 66 different books, and it's there for anybody to read. Anybody has access to it, but only by revelation can you find out what it really says. It's so simple that people look at it and say, that doesn't say nothing. 
But on the other hand, if you look at it with the simplicity of the born-again man, of the renewed mind, you can look in there and say, this thing tells it all. Some people don't get anything out of it, but I'm telling you, it'll tell you everything about your life. You can take this book, and you can know the future, and you can set the future. You can know the future that's already been set, and you can set your future, whatever you want in your life. Whatsoever things ye desire when you pray, believe you receive them, and ye shall have them. But you got to say, don't you? There's some saying involved. And it's real power if it's a key. And most people miss it because it's so common. We always miss what's common. We always pass over what's common. Why? We're the most saturated nation on the earth concerning the gospel. And yet there's so many people that don't even know Jesus. And many of those, they just pass him off as like whatever. And yet here we are with uh, the whole life-changing gospel right around us. Verse 3 says, he regulates... Look at that. It says he regulates the universe by the mighty power of his command. Well, what we got here is like in Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, God said, let there be light. And how many of y'all know that's exactly how it happened? The word of his power went forth and light was. But the only thing is, is that when God or you says anything by the word of his power, it's conveyed and until it's turned off, it just keeps on going. And science tells us, you know, I'm not science, but I can read. They tell us that the universe is expanding in every direction and has been since time began, before time began, at the speed of light. Well, how can that be? Why is that? Well, God said light be. And he never shut the spigot off. He never did say, that's enough. We got it. It's plenty bright here. We can do that now. It just keeps on going in every direction because he never said light quit. And that's why gravity will never quit because God set it into motion. That's why the sun's always going to come up in the east. It does come up in the east, doesn't it? And you go, well, of course it does because of its physics. Well, all those physics were set in. God said, it's not always recorded everything that he said. But he said it all, he set it into motion, and he, until he turns it off, that's the way it is. And it's the way it'll always be. And so there's some things that are stable in God because of the word of his power. And so we can depend on them. And so you can go to seed time and harvest, and you can say, this is as sure as gravity, this is as sure as light. And so seed time and harvest cannot fail until God says, that's enough of that, we're going to do it a different way. Well, he's not going to. That's how he got us, as he planted the Lord Jesus and got us, hallelujah. He likes that system, amen? John 6, verse 63, let's turn there. Praise his name. So these words are powerful. And what you've got in your heart, spirit man, and in your mouth is all you need, y'all. Jesus said in Matthew, he said, the good man out of the good deposit of his heart brings forth good things. So what we're working on is not asking God, Lord, do something up there. Please help me. When's this going to work out for me? What we're working on is putting the good treasure, the good deposit in our heart. We're just feeding on this. We're putting this in there. We're renewing our mind. We're learning how to turn the faucet of the bad thing off and how to turn the faucet of the righteous thing on, to turn his word on out of our mouth. That's what we're doing. That's what we're doing this morning. I can't teach you anything, but you can learn everything. John 6, it says in verse 63, the Lord Jesus said, It is the spirit that quickeneth. Now, that word quickeneth is old, archaic, but it means to resurrect. But in our time, it means to make alive. It is the spirit that makes alive. The flesh profiteth nothing. Now, we understand that. The Bible says that your flesh isn't going to get it done. You know, we take that for granted, but you know, the world only knows the flesh. They only know, how are we going to get it done? Well, we're going to work harder, we're going to work smarter. That's all they know. You never heard them say anything different. We're going to take us, and we're going to give more, and we're going to have more. That's the end of it. There's nothing else to rely on. But the Lord says that stuff doesn't do anything. If you do make a little mark, if you do change a little something, if you do get something going, he said the next time the world just coughs, it'll all be gone. You have to start over. He said here, but the Spirit makes alive. And then he says, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. See, so what we've thought is just people, as humans, growing up and whatever, being raised, you thought that words were simply noise. 
And so we can speak things that are unprofitable, thinking they're just noise, and when someone quits hearing them, well, then the noise is gone, the noise is eclipsed, the noise is finished, then it's over. So we've been willing to say that I laughed until I almost died, it scared me to death, I froze to death, I'm burning up. What do we say that has got so much in it? If it keeps on going, if words are not the end of themselves when we quit hearing them, how much of that is still working in our life? People say, I don't understand. People say, I can't figure that out. People say, I don't know all the time. Don't we say, I don't know all the time? Don't we say, I can't understand this? You know, when you say, I can't understand this about something, you need to go to the Dairy Queen and get one of them chocolate-covered frosty things. They're so good and probably good for you. If I've ever had any trouble, I've always figured I just didn't eat enough of those chocolate-covered cones. That's it right there. And that it's really, forget the vitamins. One a day is highly overrated. But once we say, I don't understand, I can't figure this out. If that's true, we need to just quit. We need to hire somebody or just say, I'm not going to have that in my life. Because there's nothing going to come if that's true. I can't understand this. I can't figure this out. I don't get it. It's hard. Oh, my. I was saving the hammer for the last. It's hard. You know, people say, this is hard. It's so hard. What's going to change about it's so hard? It's going to get at least as hard. And you go, well, that doesn't mean that. Well, then you're operating by experience. We want to ask you, how's your life? Well, it's hard. (laughs) The people you ask that say, my life is easy, said something yesterday. Somebody said, how you doing, sir? I was checking out or something. He said, how you doing, sir? And I said, I am doing so good. And he just brightened up and he said, well, I've been here all day and nobody has said anything good about their day. I mean, and he wanted to go on and on about it because everybody was just talking to him about, you know, well, no, 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 no. And then sometimes some smart aleck tries to tell you exactly how their life really is going. You're not asking them. Well, actually, I've got bills due and my medicine doesn't work. My dog's got the mange and, you know, stuff like that. And you're going, (laughs) amen. We're spiritual people. It seems like we're regular. It looks like we're regular. We were educated at the same places as regular folks, and we buy our groceries at the same place, and we have the same currency as regular folks. But y'all, we're not regular people. We are spirit beings, and our words are spirit, and they are life. They are the currency of life. And if you spend them wisely, they will produce profit in your life. And if you spend them foolishly, they bring destruction. And we become, like Paul said, mere men when we speak as the world. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and we've got to change. And, you know, we preach this, and we preach this, and we preach this, and I know it helps. I know it helps, but it's got to help much. It's got to change. We've got to be doers of the word, don't we? Amen? I wrote down a bunch of stuff about what people say, but I don't want to bring it up because you know what you say. Out of our own deposit, out of the deposit of our heart, we're bringing forth those words. Amen? In Job chapter 38, slip over to the Old Testament just for a moment. Praise his name. Chapter 38 of Job. Now, Job had some things going here, and he spoke some things that were very wise concerning the principles of the kingdom. He was a contemporary of Abraham, actually. He's an old-timer. Look what he said in verse 33 of chapter 38. He said, knowest thou, knowest thou the ordinances of heaven? It's a question. Canst thou set the dominion thereof in the earth? It's a rhetorical question. And so I looked it up in another version in the living. It says, do you know the laws of the universe and how the heavens influence the earth? Y'all, we need to know the laws of the universe. We need to know how the heavens influence the earth. We are living in this life temporarily. The thing that fools people is, is they've never lived anywhere else. If you've always lived in America and you've never been overseas, well, then to go overseas, you've got to study and look and, you know, because you've never been there. But if you're one of them old traveler types, you just get your toothbrush and two sets of underwear and you load. You know what to do. You'll just make it on the way. But the people that have never been, they got four big bags and you know they're going to be in trouble. Well, we've never been anywhere except here on earth. So we don't know about heaven. All we've got is what the brochure says. 
All we've got what the travel agent told us about the next destination. But the thing that you'll find in there is he says, well, the same rules actually that are over there should be working over here. We've gotten away from a few of them. Actually, the rules there are what we should already be having over here. Do you know the ordinances? Do you know the ways of heaven? Men say that God's just moving around and orchestrating the earth personally that he's micromanaging the affairs of heaven. This is what they say. I saw a thing in the paper today, and I don't know who it is, and I hope you're not related to him, but it was a eulogy. It was a memorial about a beautiful young woman, and she was just calculated 85, so she was just 21 or 2 years old. And it just talked about in that, it was real sweet. It was really a very nice one, but it talked about how we just don't understand why she's gone. We get this thing, this enigma, this mystery on us about how does this work down here? Well, it's in the Word. How it works down here is all in the Word. Why did God take my baby is what this was saying. Why is she gone at 21? And that's a valid question. Why does anyone leave before their time? The fact is, is our time is supposed to be about 120. So lots of folks are leaving early, but they're leaving with wrinkles, and they're leaving with canes, and they're leaving with thick glasses. So we go, well, you know, you wasn't doing much down here anyway. You are having a hard time. You could go. But when we're young people are putting on athletic shorts and one of them things you put around your head to keep the sweat from falling in your ears, we think they ought to be here a while. So there's questions. Why, 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 why? Well, it's in the book. And if you want to have those questions answered, it's not just that God's answering the why do people leave this earth early. It's why do we not live according to heaven's standard here on earth? Part of it is, is in words. Father followed this thing about words. He set it up and said, I'm not just going to put it on you. You know those parents that say, do as I say, not as I do. That's not good parenting. Hallelujah. So Father says, you do as I say and do as I do. And he said, words are very important. That's how I'm going to run it. Amen? In Psalm 141, you're right there in Job. Turn to Psalm 141. Praise his name. Now we can say this a bunch of ways. The only reason we're even talking about it is just to imprint you to somewhere, some way, that if we put this word into your head enough, if you hear it week after week, you'll see it from an angle that you finally say, I believe I'll do that. Many times we'll teach on series in the church. We'll go three, four, five weeks, and somebody will come up on the sixth or seventh week, and they'll say, I got it this morning. However you get it, just get it. Get it. We're not called to have exposure to the whole kingdom. We're called to have mastery. You're to be a master of your words. You're to be a master of faith. You're to be a master of love. You're to understand peace. Well, I need to go to the beach. I'm just frazzled. I got to go to the mountains and just get into the quietness and let the trees whistle and let the birds chirp, and and I got to get some peace. That's not peace. I guarantee you'll come back and you'll long for that and you'll not be very functional here. But it just helps us cope. It's like taking an aspirin. It's just like, it hurts like thunder. I'm taking an aspirin, going to bed, I'll feel better in the morning. That's all these vacations do. I'm for them. I recommend them. I'm planning on taking several. But it's not for the express purpose of trying to find a survival, a coping mechanism. It's just like, let's go and just hang out. When we go some places, we get revelation, we get things because the noise is shut down, but it's not to see if I can find my life. And so we ought to be masters of the kingdom of heaven so that when we step over, and we are going to step over, that it's not a great big surprise. It's like, wow, this is all new. I never heard of that. I never saw that. Who expected this to be going on? It's supposed to be going on right now. It's called Days of Heaven here on earth. So we're endeavoring to live it. And how are we doing it? It's not some secret doctrine. It's just like read the Bible. Who knew? Who knew it was here all along? Psalm 141, verse 3. Look what it says there. Pretty cool. It's all over. It says, set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. So the psalmist said that he wanted the Lord to keep the door of my lips. Well, in the old covenant, the Lord would. He would help them. He called his lips a door. So there's things behind the door, and there's things that come through the door, and you're supposed to guard the door to your life. Now, the Lord, he's not going to do it for you. You're going to have to keep your own door in the new covenant. Is that right? You've got to keep it. Psalm 39, slip right back there. 
Verse 1. Now here's something that's real important. You've got to know how the kingdom of uh, heaven works, but you also got to know we've got this element called the devil. I think he's highly overrated. I think we talk about him too much. But on the other hand, we need to know exactly what he is capable of and just shut that thing off. I said we need to shut the devil off. They say that the way to start a war, lots of wars have been started where somebody came in and provoked something between two nations and just let them slug it out, and then they would just step in after they'd slugged it out and were just wore out and beat up and had no money left. They'd come in and just defeat whoever won, be all fresh and new. That happens all the time in maneuvering. Well, the devil does that a lot of times. He likes to come in and get us to slug it out with each other and then just step in and then just knock the winner in the head and say, I win. <laughs> That's the thing with political things is the Democrats are afraid to knock each other around too much because they know they got to go to the big fight. The Republicans are like, you know, don't call them a dirty old skunk because down the road they're going to remember what you said. Why should we elect a dirty old skunk? Your own people say he is. But now he's the candidate. Well, the devil's doing that is what I'm trying to say. And here he is in chapter 39 in verse uh, 1. I said, I will take heed to my ways that I sin not with my tongue. I will keep my mouth with a bridle, look here, while the wicked is before me. Now, who's the wicked? Well, you know, there's people that take on wicked ways, but you're right. The wicked one is Satan. And literally what you have here is the truth is, this is truth. This is from heaven's perspective. This is what the Bible says is that Jesus took care of the devil. He's not dead. He's just totally incapacitated. You know, when you have a dead battery, you're not saying there's no battery in the spot there. So when you have a dead battery, it doesn't mean it disappeared. It just means it has no power. And so the devil didn't mean that when he was taken out that he disappeared or that he doesn't exist. It just means he doesn't have any power. Amen? So he's powerless. The only way he can plug back in, the only way he can plug back in and get any power he, he's been completely discharged like a cell phone battery. He is completely dead. Hello, hello. Put it on some paper so they won't blow away. That's all it's worth with the battery gone, right? But you can plug it back in. The only way you can plug back in is with our mouth. And so here's what the devil does. This is how the devil works it. He's got demons, and he sits around, and he provokes you and I with circumstances, with people. He provokes us, and he's just waiting on the spring on the trap to turn so that he can get you to say something. As soon as we say empowering things, negative empowering things, it's like him plugging back in, and he's like, we're back. We were out, but we're back. We got words now. The power's on, y'all. Everybody up. We got him talking. She's saying it. She's saying it. Sickness is coming. Where's hope now, folks? Everybody get ready. And so hell comes alive. They plug back in two words. Are y'all listening to me? Let's read the verse again. I will take heed to my ways that I sin not with my tongue. I will keep my mouth with a bridle while the wicked is before me. So there's literally spiritual hearses waiting on yours and mine conversation. They are dead. They are not able to launch an attack. There's no ammo. There's nothing that they can do except to set up a situation to coax damning and limiting and invasive words to come out of your own mouth. You've got the knife, and the devil can only hope that he can somehow turn it around to stab yourself. That's all he's got. He has no weapon. He has no ability. He has no power, except in your words. Do y'all see that? That's what it says. So their job, the devil's job, is to loose your tongue, to get you somehow talking, to loose your tongue so that you will say things contrary to the word of God, which then will bring you over into his terry, the curse. Now, in the Old Covenant, as you know, the Old Covenant, there was blessings and cursings. If you look in Deuteronomy, it talks about that extensively in chapter 28, where there's blessings in verses 1 through 15, and then there's the cursings in verses 17 through 60-something. It's pretty bad, the curses. But in the New Covenant, in the Jesus part of the Bible, there's only blessings. Jesus took all the curse. He bore it all. He took it all. There is nothing left for you to take. The only way you can get sick, the only way you can get broke, the only way you can get in a fight that'll knock you down is if you will utter words that are contrary to the new covenant of who you are, of the life that's in you, you'll reach back to a covenant, a time that is not your own, 
and speak things and bring them forward into your life and embrace them and say, this is my life. I laughed so hard I almost died. I thought I was going to die. I had a big heart attack. I thought I was having a heart attack. Uh, uh, you know, I, you must be brain dead. Why, I'm just brain dead. Look at me. Stupid as a... Never mind. And so we begin to say things in jest and trying to somehow accommodate the humanity part of life, and we begin to ease the offense about those evil words, and they become common, and we are able then to somehow say them, and having the ability then to say them, and they become comfortable, and they become a part of what's the world's culture, they've bled over into the church, and now we can say things that were unspeakable before. And saying them, then we begin to open our lives to them. In Genesis chapter 4, God told Cain this, verse 7. Cain was having a hard time with the sacrifice. Him and Abel were, Cain was in competition. And the Lord told Cain, he said, listen, he said, If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? Remember that when Cain was struggling with his offering and God wasn't accepting his offering? And then God said, If thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. He's saying here, if you don't get your mouth lined up, you're going to be taken over. If you don't get your life lined up, sin is at the door. Remember in Luke chapter 22 where Jesus said to Peter, Satan hath desired to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed you for you that your faith not fail. Sift you as wheat, what does that mean? He's trying to provoke you. He's trying to agitate you, trying to get you to look at the scene, look at the now, look at the contemporary, so you'll say that what I have and who I am is what I see, what I hear, and what I feel. You can't do that. You can't say, I am sick because I feel sick, if by his stripes ye were healed. It's got to be one or the other. There's no mixing it up. Well, I'm the healed, but I sure feel like sick. Which one are you? Well, I'm a man, but, you know, I feel like a woman. Woo. They're out there. Yes, they are. Well, which one are you? How do we know? No, we know some things. We have understanding. As Christians, we ought to know. Are you the healed? As a matter of fact, I did feel a little tepid when I got this morning. And I did notice that I had a little throbby pie over here. You know, I don't know. I don't know if I'm healed or not. Well, we can't go to that. We have to go to the Word. We have to go where what heaven says about you. You don't know. You can't know. Because Jesus bore your sickness and carries your disease. The chastisement of his peace and well-being was upon you. And by his stripes ye are healed. Well, which way is it? Is it? Is it? Man, I'm so tired of being broke. Well, the Bible says you're not broke. Well, come on, look at my account and see if it doesn't feel broke to you. That's not how we measure. Amen. Proverbs 30. Are you still there in the Psalms? Turn to Proverbs 30. Proverbs 30, verse 32. See, we're getting this in. We're getting this in. We're going to get this in. If thou hast done foolishly in lifting up thyself... Or if thou hast thought evil, lay thine hand upon thy mouth. Now see here, it's talking about the reality that we all think things. Listen, if you've got two brain cells sparking, one BB will roll into another and spark in your head. You've got to know that you're going to think things. You're going to feel things. Being in faith and feeling things are not contrary. You can feel bad and still be in faith. Oh, I don't feel bad, you know, and you're just laying over there, foaming and carrying on, writhing around. I feel fine. No, we're not saying that being in faith is contrary to having an attack, having something come on you. But the devil is waiting for the word. All he wants is for you to take the, one translation says, put a gag on your mouth, is what the proverb says. That if you feel bad, if things are contrary, put a gag on your mouth. Think it all day, but put a gag on your mouth. Don't say it. Because once you say it, the devil's like, we got it. It's like a confession that a murderer has. The moment he says, I didn't want to, but she made me and I just did it. Well, they've got that recorded. They just click it off. Okay, we got it. Lock him up. Send him down to the big house. They just need the confession. He did it. The devil's waiting on you to confess it. I feel so bad. I don't think I'd go on anymore. 
Everybody hates me. And on and on and on. Are y'all getting this? So he says here, put a gag on your mouth. So the enemy comes. Now here's how the devil works. He's got a 60-watt light bulb. That's all that he's working on. The whole thing is running on about 60 watts. You know, we sent the man to the moon in 69 on a computer that's not much bigger than an Apple IIc, they tell me. You know, it's like a lot of things can be done if you just start early and you stay late. And the devil just starts early. He's consistent and he stays late. And he sits there and just grinds, just puts a little pressure on you, just grinding pressure. And just sits there and just says, I'm going to, I can stay, I'll stay, I'll stay until you say. And finally, we say calf rope and we say, okay, I feel bad. Okay, I'm broke. And he said, good enough, closes up the briefcase, packs it up, and heads off and goes to the legal courthouse and brings an accusation against you, opens up a legal case against you, and has a legal right to do so because of your words. He admitted it, Your Honor. Right there, he confessed it. He said, this is who I am, and this is what I have, and this is what I do. And the judge looks at you and says, but you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You're the healed of the Lord. You're the covenant beneficiary. But here I see in your confession, you have admitted to being broke, sick, crazy. Yeah. So who are you, Mr. Christian? Who are you? Well, sometimes I'm, I'm bipolar, Lord, judge, and sometimes I get mixed up and don't know who I am. Hello? We need to know who we are. And that's the whole thing. Everybody's got contrary signals. You got the word of faith coming at you, saying, by his stripes ye were healed. He was made poor that you through his poverty might be made rich. And then you got, I ain't got no money, and I sure feel bad about it. You got two signals. So you're going to be one or the other, or you're going to be confused. You're going to live in the worst of two lands. Sinners, you got to love sinners because they're single-minded. You got to love them. Because they know exactly what to do when they get sick. They know exactly what to do when they run out of money. They know exactly what to do. They know what to do. It's one option, Charlie. They know what to do, and they go do it well. But Christians, oh, I feel so bad. I hope the pastor doesn't find out that I went to the doctor. What difference does it make? Mark chapter 5. Let's squeeze this story just a little bit more that we've been working out of Mark chapter 5. We're going to change the way we say because we've discovered who we are. This thing that's been in the past, we've tried to change what we said based on a coercion, based on I ought to say things right. But if you put the bucket down in the well, family, you're going to drink out of the bucket exactly what's in the well. It doesn't change as you're raising it up. It sure smells nasty down there, but if we dip a bucket in there and bring it up, it'll be spring water before it gets to the top. No, if it's nasty in the well, it's going to be nasty in the cup. And so we've tried to get a good confession going. Don't say that. That's a bad confession. Well, if that's what's on the inside, that's all you can do, except just duct tape, get a feeding tube. Isn't that the truth? That's all you can do. So we've got to put the deposit inside. We've got to find out who we are. We can't say we're the healed until we know. I'm the healed. You can't stand up against the assault of the devil that concerning you guilty, you unrighteous, you condemned thing when you know I am the righteousness of God in him. That's the way it is. That's the way it'll always be. It'll never change. Yeah, but look what you did. And the devil knows all that you did. And all he needs you to do is to amplify and say, yeah, you don't even know all I did. And you begin to say more. You need to just say it doesn't matter. You can't measure my righteousness by what I did. I am what he made me. I can't help it. And you have to go there. You have to go there. And the only way you can go there is to meditate this. Listen, y'all, between services, you got to do your homework. You got to have this. You got to listen to a tape. You got to read a book. You got to get in the Word. You got to say things about you early in the morning. Because if you don't, you'll have a temptation to say something about you that's not Godward during the day. You'll get false information, and you'll feel that way. We're in Mark chapter 5. Look at verse 22. We've been here before. Behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And when he, Jesus, saw him, he fell at his feet. Verse 23. And besought him greatly. Sometimes, y'all, we need to beseech him greatly. 
We need to squeeze out. We need to deny the alternative that the world's going to, and we need to go there and stay there until that's the only hope we have. We need to have no other options. As long as you've got plan B in the back, you'll just go a ways. The devil knows how far you'll go. He can go that long. I tell you, sometimes it's better if you know you're going to quit just to say, I'm not believing God for nothing. Let's go get a pill. It's better sometimes just to say, I'm not in faith at all. I believe, I'm not going to make it. I know I'm not going to make it. Let's go get a pill so I can feel better and go get back in the Word. Well, we won't go there. And besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her. Look at here. That she may be healed and she shall live. Now, this man set the law of confession into order. He said it, he activated it, that's the way it was. The devil then, what is his job? His job is just not to be ugly. His job is just not to harass. He's got a purpose in harassment. People have said, well, he just hates us because we're full of God and everything. Mm, okay, we'll go there. But what he's really trying to do is trying to get you to say something. The battery's dead. He's got to get plugged in. And the only way to get plugged in is for you to say something for him. And so he comes, and he interrupts. I'm not saying that the woman with the issue of blood interrupted, but that obviously worked on Jairus. When they showed up and said, you know, it's over, it could have been that if Jesus went straight to the house, they would have met him just a little further down the road and said, it's too late. But nevertheless, he had a lot of pressure on him, and they came in verse 35, and they said, thy daughter is dead. Now, here's the key, and this is what I want to tell you this morning. Listen to me. Listen to me. You cannot minister to other people while you are keeping your faith confession. Not everybody understands where you are when you get in faith. You are maintaining the Word of God. In other words, you're saying, for instance, in healing, you're saying, I'm healed. But then somebody comes by and they said, how do you feel? You can't tell them, well, listen. I know you don't understand. I'm really sick as a horse. I feel so bad. But I'm in faith right now. I'm going to tell you. I'm telling you. I've, I'm at the healed. But just to let you know how this really works, I'm putting on a good confession. You can't go there, y'all. And you can't explain to them, I'm in faith. This is what the Bible says. I know you don't understand. You can't go there. Say Amen. So this is what happened. It says here that they came, and in verse 36, as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he saith in the ruler of the synagogue, be not afraid, shut up. Don't say a word. Don't, don't minister to these people that have brought the news. Don't, don't give them any solace. Don't give them any kind of communion. Only believe. Well, what are you going to believe? If thou shalt come and lay thy hands on her, she shall be healed, and she shall live. That's the last word that he said, and that's the word that's working right there. And so it says, and he suffered no man, verse 37, to follow them, save them. And he come to the house of the ruler, and seeth the tumult. Say tumult. No, say tumult. tumult. All right, that's a little better. The word tumult, seeth the tumult, means a disturbance. It means an uproar. And what is the uproar? In the New Testament, the uproar that you'll meet with people, the tumult that they're going to meet you with, is the things, the witty little sayings that religion has. One of the things in the tumult, the disturbance, is the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. One of them was in the paper I told you about this morning. Like I said, I mean no disrespect to that family because in their grief and in their hurt, they are really just pouring themselves out for their loss. And they don't know what else to do. And that is what the response looks like. But it's a tumult. It's an uproar. They're trying to not blame God, but they're saying, you took her, and it wasn't her time, and we needed her, and she didn't do nothing wrong, and we don't understand, and we're going to give you till heaven to get this thing understood. But you better have some answers when we get there. That's what's being said in these things. They're hurting inside because it doesn't make sense. It's not right. It, it doesn't fit God saying, God, I am love. It doesn't make. And so they're trying to be kind, and they're trying to, to not violate themselves, and they can't make it work. So they just say, Lord, we don't understand. But we need to understand. 
Because this thing is a life stopper. These things that come, they stop life, not just for the mama, not just for the daddy, but for everybody. It, it casts a pall on God himself that he can't take care of his own. Moses even told the Lord in the Old Testament, the Lord was coming in and saying, I'm fixing to wax this people. They are not doing right. Moses, you're my man. I'm going to start over with you. And Moses said, God, 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 all these people, these Midianites and Perizzites and Hittites and all these tights, we've all told them, you're a good God. This is going to mess up all the advertisement. And the Lord said, yeah, you're right. Well, let's do something else. Amen. So there's a tumult here. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. The Lord works in mysterious ways, his wonders to perform. The Lord needed a rose for his garden, and he took the best on earth. The Lord, his ways are higher than our ways. And so we just can't question his ways. But see, that's all old covenant. It's either not in the Bible or it's old covenant. And it's not who we are. Verse 39, And seeth the tumult and them that wept and wailed greatly. And when he had come in, he saith to them, Why maketh this ado and weep? The damsel is not dead, but sleepeth. Now here's the thing. When you get in faith and you get your confession going, you've got to keep your confession. What did he say? He said, She's not dead. He didn't say, Well, she's dead, but we're going to do this. He said, She's not dead. Well, I'm sick, but the Lord's going to heal me. The truth is, from the covenant side, from heaven's side, you're not even sick. We're healed on the inside. I said, you've got a perfect spirit. Total health and wholeness in the inside. Is that too heavy? When you call, Lord, I need money. When are you going to fund this thing down here? Can't you see we're about to go under? God looks at you and says, uh, Sent Jesus, he became poor that he through his poverty might make you rich. I see you rich. What are you talking to me about no money? I made you rich. Well, Lord, what's the problem? You hadn't received it. You hadn't said, I am rich. You said, Lord, I look around, I'm not rich. He said, I say you're rich. Well, I'm not rich. We're not even making it good here. I say you're rich. Well, we're not even funding it good. We don't have good stuff. The heathen next door is doing better than we. He said, I said you're rich. But Christian's just like, I can't take that. And you know, there's people that got $500,000 in their bank. And they wouldn't acknowledge that they're rich. They would still say, yeah, but you know the market might wipe out. And, you know, because I knew a man that said, if I ever get a million dollars, we're just going to shut this thing down and go to the lake. Well, millions later, he's still just working day in and day out, just like, oh, it's bad out there. We better, it's deceptive. Now, I've got to get to the end of this. It says in verse 39, verse 40, they left him to scorn. When he put them all out, he taketh the father and the mother of the damsel. And then that were with him and entered in, and he took the damsel, and he said to her, Arise. That's basically what he said, Arise. Now, how was he able to do that? There was a lot of people that were sent to get Jairus' mouth. He got his baby because he kept his mouth. He spoke the truth, then he kept the truth. The devil wants your mouth. It's a big conspiracy, y'all. It's not even like you're thinking these thoughts all on your own. You know, like I've never thought so much about sickness in my life until I got that little thing, that little feeling. And now all of a sudden I get the TV comes on and it's got all about it. And my friends come over and have you heard about the thing going around and drug things come in? All of a sudden it's the devil trying to get your mouth, trying to say, you know, I have been feeling a little bit lately. And I think probably I do have that thing now that you mentioned it. And doggone, I hope my insurance is up and I better check with Dr. Doodad to make sure that he's got an opening for me next week. We're going to need him. And all of a sudden, your mouth, it's your greatest asset, but it can be used against you at the same measure. And so here we are. We're in control of our mouth. The devil, we're not giving him anything. And we've got our mouth. We've got to activate it. You cannot yield to the heathen, those around you, to appease them. Now, they're going to think you're crazy. It's part of what the Bible calls persecution. They're going to say, <laughs> you can tell them now. Or they can find out later. But eventually you're going to have to stand and they're all going to go, whoo-hoo, the lights are on, but nobody's home. One of them people, you know, you got to live whichever way you're going to live. If you don't want to live in the realm of the covenant, you need to just be a real good nominal Christian. And just say, you know, there's nominal Christian churches for me. 
where we can talk about sickness and nobody gets mad at us and we can say, I'm so broke, I'm so busted, ah, we can't even pay attention here. Ha, 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 ha. Isn't that funny? And they'll all laugh. Ha, ha, ha. And nobody will bother you in those churches. You can be a heathen there, a saved heathen, saved unbeliever. There we go. And they'll just get in with you and try to one-up you. But if you want to go on, if you want to take ground, and we're not even talking about the stuff here. We're not even talking about, let's do this so we can have this stuff. There are things that are yet not seen that the Lord has to get us through the healing and the prosperity thing, get us through that so he can show us the true riches. It's not money. It's not even being healed. It's that God would get stuff to you so he could get stuff through you. He wants to send you to be a healer instead of just saying, Hoo-hoo, write me up, I got healed. Real glad, we're so excited. But who have you helped this afternoon? That's the good news. You've been hurt by a death, and I would say certainly that we've all had some sort of brush with it in some way. You can take your lumps and just say, it still hurts so bad. You gotta eliminate that. You see people on TV that say, we'll never get over this. This murderer took my baby and we'll never get over it. And you just need to know that can't come out of your mouth. We get over it this fast because we've got a life to live for him. Yeah, our soul is still reeling from that, but down in here, we're full of God. Y'all, this is a tough gospel in the sense of it's just so soft out there. But really, this is just gospel. And Jesus said, my yoke is easy. This is how we're supposed to be all along. If we hadn't got soft, we wouldn't think this was hard. We'd be looking for the apostles' ministry, the prophets' ministry, instead of just trying to to walk with our mouth right. But we are on the road. Amen? Let's do what we did last week. Let's say this after me. Father, in the name of Jesus, I repent for foolish words, words against the Word, words against the Lord Jesus, and the work He did in me. Father, I ask you to help me to put a guard on my lips, to put a gag in my mouth, that I would not sin against you or the covenant with my words. Today, I take up a standard of faith to live for you with my mouth. I will cause days of heaven to be lived out on earth with my mouth. Today, I will change what I've been saying to be edifying, life-giving, and honoring to you. Thank you, Lord, for forgiving me and strengthening me to live this life of faith for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, that's all it takes, y'all.